Hey there, if you're listening to this and you support us on Patreon, you can hear it via the Patreon page ad-free. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we're sharing our favorite songs that pose questions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. But first, we have new albums by Kendrick Lamar and Florence and the Machine to review. What is a what is a miniskirt? A man and his feelings were bitter. What is a woman that really hurt? A demon you better off killing her. What is a relative making repetitive narratives on how you did it first? That is a predator in reverse. All of your presidency with thirst. What is a neighborhood reputable? That is a snitch on a pedestal. What is a house with a better view? A family broken in variables. What is a rapper with jewelry? A way that I show my maturity. What if I call on security? That means I'm calling on God for purity. I wanna get me a therapist, I can debate all my theories and sharing it well. Cause I like that all my that is a little bit of United in Grief, the opening track on the highly anticipated new album by Kendrick Lamar, his first Greg in five years, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Kendrick Lamar, what a story and what an artist. Raised in Compton, California, started out with mixtapes like so many rappers do, got signed to the big leagues, and began to make a hell of a splash. Good Kid, Mad City, 2012, To Pimp a Butterfly, and Damn, 2015 and 2017, got every accolade imaginable from Grammys to the Pulitzer Prize Mm -hmm. for Kendrick. And then he went silent for five years, as I said. People have been wondering, what is Kendrick doing? What will he return with? I'll tell you, he returned with a sprawling 70-minute double album cut into two distinctive parts, a journey from beginning to end with some of his regular producers and many other guest stars and guest producers. And it's a cast of seemingly 100. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let us play a track from Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, uh, and then we'll come back with our opinions. There is a lot to talk about with this record. Uh, this is a song called Mirror. We bumped in with United in Grief, which opens this sprawling collection of music. Mirror concludes it. Kendrick Lamar on Sound of Indies. Cause all of it's toxic. Girl, I'm not relevant to giving no profit. Personal gain of my pain is nonsense. Darling, my demons is off the leash for a mosh pit. Baby, I just had a baby. You know she need me. Working on myself and counseling is not easy. Don't you point a finger just to point a finger. Cause critical thinking is a deal breaker. Faith in one man is a ship sinking. Do yourself a favor and get a mirror that mirror grievance. Then point it at me so the reflection can mirror freedom. She told me that she need me the most. I didn't believe. She even called me names on the post. The world can see it. Jokes and gaslighting. Mad at me because she didn't get my vote. She said That's a track called Mirror from the new Kendrick Lamar record. Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, a dance record. If this were a uh, vinyl record or a CD collection, it would be two discs, two albums. Yeah, two, mo- most, most albums might be a, uh, a meaty short story. This is a novel on the, uh, uh, on the level of like war and peace. Yeah, this is like a purge, you know. Um, can you tell that this guy's been to therapy? 
He tells us about a uh, hundred times. He tells right yeah. up front that he has been, and he's uh, in a process of self-examination, uh, big time on this record, to the point of uh, where you're wondering, is, is, is Kendrick a nice guy or not? You know, um, There's a lot of questions that are here. And, I, and I'm not saying this in a, in a mean-spirited way at all. It's fascinating in a lot of ways. But when I think about this young guy, what he did early on in his career, Section 80, Good Kid, Mad City, yeah. uh, talking about you know growing up in one of the toughest areas in the entire world for a young black man, uh, to pimp a butterfly, looking outward, and, and, and the social outreach extending what he saw in the ghetto to the world around him. Okay, can, uh, can I interject? When you want to understand uh, Black Lives Matter in the wake of George Floyd and so many others, right. you need to listen to Pimp a Butterfly. Right, absolutely. I, what, what, what we have here, though, uh, is a man going interior again. And I think much like Dylan sort of casting off that yoke of spokesman for a generation, Kendrick doesn't want any of that. Oh, he, so don't call me. Don't him. call me a savior. Yeah. Don't call me this. Don't call me that. It's fascinating in the way he's deconstructing himself and basically saying, look, I'm as screwed up as anybody else, and he's showing us exactly how. I mean, when you talk about some of these tracks here, uh, it's deeply disturbing. The cameos by Kodak Black, who's not exactly uh, the most enlightened artist on the planet. His his support of R. Kelly, a man, you know, we are in intimate terms with from, from the standpoint of, you know, the wrongs he committed, Uh, the attack on cancel culture. Uh, the use of gay uh, slurs in a track about a relative struggle with gender identity. Monty is a man now. I watch him and his girl hold their hands down. Tipping the avenues under street lights made his. Thinking I want me a bad bad. When I get big, they hug on the corner like California came cold. Hand all of a skirt, cars whistling down the road. See, my auntie is a man now. Slight bravado. Scratching the light. I mean, these are the kind of things you, you leave yourself questioning. What's going on here? And I think Kendrick is doing this intentionally. He's neither a superhero or a supervillain, he's telling us. He's this guy who's deeply flawed and dealing with it on a record. Meanwhile, there's the musical aspect of this, which I think got cast to the side. Like, he didn't even think about the music here. There's a lot of tracks here where the beats are so subtle or non-existent, you're wondering, you know, what, what kind of music is this? Is he trying to invent a new genre here? It's like he's completely taking an off ramp off the off the hip hop world and, and sort of on an island by himself, which is I think exactly his intention with this record. But if you're a big Kendrick Lamar fan, as many of us are, as, you know we are on this show. This this is a huge disappointment to me. This record was a major letdown. I was so looking forward to this record, and on a musical level, it's a huge letdown. On a personal level, it's fascinating. But man, do I really want to know that much about this minutia? of Kendrick's life? I don't think so. Well, you know, I disagree with you about the music. I think a lot of it, it is a polyglot collection of every sound he's fascinated in, from the jazzy to the psychedelic funk or psychedelic soul, uh, to straight street-driven rap, to, uh, uh, you know, quiet storm. There are moments of quiet storm. Um, I have not been as upset reviewing an album by an artist I respect uh, and have loved. Uh, I I can't remember when, Greg. This was a real wrestle for me because the central theme, and you didn't mention it, is the generational black trauma passed down 
you know, the abusive dad or or the sexual abuse in youth passed to the next generation, which Kendrick at one point takes back to slavery. Conversation not being addressed in black families, the devastation haunting generations and humanity. They raped our mothers, then they raped our sisters, then they made us watch, then made us rape each other. Psychotic torture between our lives, we ain't recovered, still living as victims in the public eyes who pledge allegiance. Every other brother has been compromised. I, know I understand generational trauma. I've had to write about it for 25 years, writing about R. Kelly. To hear him, you know, saying of R. Kelly, I think about Robert Kelly, if he weren't molested, I wonder if life will fail him. Yes, the molested in youth often struggle severely to recover. That trauma lingers. And some, according to all of the experts I have talked to, a small amount become abusers. Mm -hmm. And some actually fight to protect the abused. White B-word tossed around again and again and again in, in worldwide steppers. The B-word throughout this record is as offensive to me as the N-word, and rightfully so to mm -hmm. many people. You know, you cannot use the words of the oppressor, or worse, even if you are playing a character without going deeper than he does. You said that the examination in uh, uh, of aunties, of his two relatives who, who mm -hmm. were trans, is superficial. Many people have pointed that out. Um, I have not heard a more uh, thoroughly disturbing explosion of domestic violence since Eminem and his many songs about Kim, his ex-wife. We cry together. He is going back and forth in a violent mm -hmm. uh, argument with the actress Taylor Page using the B word, getting abusive. You talking about uh, uh, R. Kelly being an abuser, he says to, the, to his mm -hmm. partner, uh, will you still listen to his music? Are you the reason R. Kelly can't recognize that he's abusive? Shut the fuck up. We all know you still playing this music. Now that's a fascinating question. Mm. Black trauma and the art and the artist and all of these questions, even cancel culture, which he deals with as superficially as Drake or yeah, Kanye. Yeah, that's the disturbing part about uh, You know, but that's a disturbing listen. Yeah. He intends it to be disturbing, and he is using the word of oppressors mm. for gay people, for women. Wait a minute, let's talk about trauma, Kendrick. I was traumatized listening to this record. I can only imagine what victims of sexual abuse and homophobia are going to feel listening to this record. Well, I agree with everything you said, with the exception of I don't think the black trauma is a new theme for him. I think this goes back to his earliest stuff. Yeah. When he was talking about growing up in Compton, when no, he was talking about yeah. the world around him. I his mean, dad, this is, he's examined that he, before. And he did it so much more richly and yeah. so much more incisively on those early records. This seems like a like almost a temper tantrum, you know? It's kind of like, stop stop beating me up, leave me alone. Uh, that argument that yeah. he creates with Taylor Page, yeah. it's disturbing, but it's like, basically, look, I'm a bad guy. You don't want to follow me, you right. know? It's almost right. like, leave me alone. Well, there's that ambiguity right on the cover. He is with his romantic partner, yeah. and they have two of their children, and he has a baby in his arms and a gun in his belt. It's disturbing on, on so many levels. And, you know, I, I guess... We're disappointed because we're, we're, we're expecting a masterpiece, and this is not that. I need my golden crown of sorrow, my bloody sword to swing, my empty heart to echo with grand self-mythology. I am no mother, I am no bride, I am king. I am no mother, 
That is a track called King from the new Florence and the Machine record, Dance Fever. Uh, we're going to learn a new word today, Jim. Uh, yes. Remember with Jack White, we learned a new word. and uh, What was Jack's with word? With Jack White, we uh, learned the word eosophobia. Oh, right? yeah, the yeah, fear yeah. fear of the darkness. We are going to learn choreomania from this Florence Welch record. Dancing yourself to death, basically. I took a deep dive into that word yeah. because we both love words. St. Vitus's dance, St. John's dance, the dancing plague, the Middle Ages. That's An right. entire village dances till they drop. And the, and the idea... sounds like some raves I've been yeah. to. And, you know, she's always sort of been into this pagan hedonism yes, thing. Yes. And, and, and that fits in very nicely. Florence has talked about, Florence Welch, the namesake of the band, has talked about this idea of, you know, when we get out of this pandemic, finally, mm -hmm. we're going to dance. We're going to go out. Ostensibly made a soundtrack uh, for that. This is her fifth studio record. Huge selling artist. Headlined Glastonbury a few years ago. Now she's back with her fifth record. Here's a track from it called Free, Florence and the Machine from Dance Fever on Sound Opinions. Puts me down, me up, spits me up. That is free by Florence and the Machine, Florence Welch. Greg, I wish I liked this record. <laughs> it was a tough week for me. I went back to our first review of Florence on the show, how big, how blue, how beautiful. My complaint there is one I have uh, uttered many times. As you know, I have a physical aversion to Broadway theatricality. Mm. makes my throat close, my eyes water, and then I drop. And Florence is... Obviously, a talented songwriter. The problem is there could be three or four good ideas in a song, but she'll put in ten. The problem is she has an enduring love of bombast. Mm -hmm. Why hit somebody with a blast at eight when she could do 14? You know, and it's just she's a cheese ball, for God's sake. <laughs> Go to Choreomania. As I said, I'm fascinated by this concept. I think there was much here. But the lyrics, I just kept spinning and I danced myself to death. You said rock and roll is dead. But is that just because it has not been resurrected in your image? Like, if Jesus came back, but in a beautiful dress, and all the evangelicals were like, oh, yes. Like, what are you talking about? All right, but She's talking about how men have defined rock and roll, and she's saying, what if a woman did it? Yes, Basically, women are making great rock and roll. It's never been dead. She's saying it's still here, but yeah. women are making it Well, now. look at the history of sound opinions. Yeah. Yes, of course, we agree with that, but I'm not sure this is rock and roll. I'm sh I, this is more like Broadway schmucks. Uh, I disagree completely. I think you're wrong. I think there's a very rock and roll record. Have you ever seen her live? Yeah, I've seen her well, live. She's fantastic. I think she's just a, a great performer, and I think she's a, a way more interesting songwriter than you're giving her credit for. I think she's uh, waiting for Vegas to call. There's a lot of personal stuff in, in this record, as there was in the last one, which yes. is a big change from her. I know. She, she had a bit away from those... Dealing and, with being a mom. Those fantastical elements that were on the early record, big yeah, part of that. Yeah, yeah, I could see the criticism there, but, you know, it's Wuthering Heights' Kate Bush, right? It's yeah. that era of that kind of music. I mean, for me... 
I see her as like a, a lineage. Kate Bush, Susie and the Banshees, Susie Sue, yeah. and her are in this lineage of, you know, music as this sort of ecstatic thing. You know, her relationship with God is very, very tenuous at and, best. And her relationship with the romance and her relationship with motherhood. All of those parts are questioning. When she's questioning them, I think she's spot on. Mm-hmm. But at other times, the cheese quotient. I mean, Kate Bush was never this cheesy. And Susie Sue, it was uh, obviously It, it depends on what you're saying about cheese. I disagree with you. I think they're accessing a side of their personality and a side of their emotionality that isn't typically accessed by white male rockers. And, and I think it's fascinating for that purpose alone. But she's talking about big subjects here. You know, King, she's talking about making a choice between career and motherhood. Her resistance to society assigning specific roles to women, you know, in Dream Girl Evil. I think that's a great song. Angel, Devil, Temptress, you have to be one of these things. Uh, her struggle with alcohol addiction, which was a topic on the mm-hmm. last record, comes back in a couple of songs. And her relationship with God, Girls Against God. How can you not love that song? I mean, it's, well, it's you know, questioning it, in, in all the right ways, you know? If, if the inspiration behind this record, she said this record was heavily inspired by Iggy Pop. If he recorded it, uh, or Courtney Love, okay? The sight of music from 2006 and feel kind of sick. Oh God, you're gonna get it. You'll be sorry that you messed with it. I hate to rain on your parade. I just can't get down with this with Florence, man. The dance stuff raises the roof, and and the introspective stuff is as, as good as she's ever done. I love this record. Well, that's what we thought of the new albums by Kendrick Lamar. We forgot to mention, Kendrick, for that argument song we both found so disturbing, takes the main hook from Florence and the Machine. Right, right. right? That's what we thought of Kendrick Lamar and Florence and the Machine. Now we want to know your opinions. Leave your review in a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. Coming up, we're going to share our favorite songs that pose questions. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we are back. I'm excited to do another of our list shows. It's uh, producer Alex's favorite kind of show that we do. And they're always a fun way to dig through our music collections and recontextualize songs you may never have heard played on the show and tell you some stories often as well. This time, the theme is questions. Well, aren't we all questioning our existence at some point, you know? And and it's great when pop music does it, right? Yes, it's been, well, it's been that kind of... uh, period, <laughs> for two years. Precisely. Um, you know, 1960, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow, The Shirelles. I can't believe how powerful that song still is. I mean, you know, a lot of yeah. pop music from that era comes and goes. It was, oh yeah, that was good for back then. Yeah. This song still resonates, I think, with any any young person who's Timeless. ever had a relationship, right? Uh, and for good reason. I mean, it was written by two pros. Jerry Goffin and Carole King wrote this song. But the performance by Shirley Owens, um, uh, of the, the lead singer, the lead voice of the Shirelles, then only 19 years old. Man. So in many ways, she was living this life. She yeah. understood this question intimately. It is an existential question. <laughs> you know, you're in a relationship. Are we, are we in it for this moment that you want so badly? Yeah. Or are, are you going to still love me tomorrow? Are you still going to be here and when, for me? And when you're 19, you have no idea. And, you know, subtext to this. You know, if I get pregnant, if I have this, right. if I need to have this baby, are you going to be there for me? All these kind of un, these questions are all folded into this into this song, and it's one reason why why it got banned on some stations. You know, they just yeah. thought it was too sexual, quote unquote. 
So uh, big question and uh, an amazing song. It was, by the way, this was the first number one song by an all-black female group in, in pop music history, the Shirelles with Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow on Sound Opinions. That is the great Shirelles, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Sometimes people take the still out, the technically not in the song title, Will You Love Me Tomorrow from 1960. The still is in parens. Correct. I love that. Um, it's interesting, Greg, that we both went uh, to this era for our first picks, and we both uh, chose a song uh, written or co-written by Jerry Goffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, who put the bomp uh, in the bomp, bomp, bomp? Barry Mann, who was a great songwriter uh, as well, uh, wrote this with uh, Jerry Goffin, uh, 1961. After writing this this hit with uh, Jerry Goffin, Barry Mann goes on to uh, fall in love with and have a great partnership with his songwriting wife, Cynthia Weil. We had them both on the show back in episode 291. All right. But Goffin and Mann, you know, were both huge doo-wop fans, and they were essentially writing a novelty song. They knew it was uh, that would pose this question, who put the bomb, because there were so many uh, of these doo-wop hits, right? Blue Moon, uh, bomb, 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 and dip-dee, dip, 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 right? And the Etzels, <laughs> Ramalama, Ding Dong, and the Diamonds, the boogity shooty, right? You know, <laughs> the nonsense, right? Because let's face it, Little Richard taught us, taught us sometimes uh, words don't have to be verbal to say uh, depths of, uh, of knowledge, of question, of expression, uh, lust, right? Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank the guy who wrote the song that made my baby fall in love with me. Barry, recording this himself, scoring a hit, uh, starts out, right? So so all this doo-wop that brought us together, that we made out to, right, that made us fall in love. Who wrote that song? I owe him a thanks, right? Who? Who was it who put the bop in the bop, shoo-bop, shoo-bop, and the dip, and the dip, the dip, the dip? Uh, I mean, it's just timeless. It's it's funny. Uh, it's wonderful. And, uh, you know, it inspired the first great fanzine in rock writing history. Do you know? Mm, Crawdaddy. No, no, Greg Shaw's Bomp Magazine. Bomp, okay. Bomp Magazine, Greg Shaw, uh, the uh, the uh, publisher of the initial uh, Psychotic Reactions and Carburetor Dung piece by Lester mm. Bangs, all 40,000 words of it. So here's Barry Mann on Sound Opinion. Who put the bomp in the bomp, the bomp, the bomp? Who put the rhyme in the ramalama ding dong? Who put the bop in the bop, shabop, shabop? Who put the dip in the dip, 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 dip? Who was that man? Greg, who did put the bomb? <laughs> Have you ever figured it out? I'd say it was Little Rich. Talk about an existential question. A, a, a timeless. Man, and nobody's just, ever gotten to the exactly, bottom of it. We can't figure it out to this day. It's like the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot. Yeah. I got another question for you, Jim. Are friends electric? 
Uh, you know, I was so mad. You got your list together in no time, and I saw that on your list because I was going to go to Gary Newman. Yeah, Tubeway Army, a.k.a. Gary Newman. Tubeway Army was his band. The joke about this, well, not a joke, but sort of like the funny line about this, this song is that, you know, Gary Newman went into the studio to make a punk rock record with his band, Tubeway Army, and there was a mini Moog sitting there. <laughs> he met, met a mini Moog synthesizer yeah. uh, and put it together with the, with the rock rhythm section and the mini Moog as being basically the lead instrument on the song alongside his voice. Created, uh, you know, the, the, the beginnings of electro rock in the in the late 70s, uh, late uh, early 80s. Uh, Two Way Army is the name of the group. Uh, the song is, uh, you know, Newman was a huge fan of dystopian science fiction. Yeah. Philip K. Dick, uh, J.G. Ballard. Uh, you know, and, and, and there was a short story that he read that really resonated with him. What What is English life? What is life going to be like in London 30 mm. years from now? Now, remember, this is 1979. Yeah. So he's basically saying something that would have happened maybe 10 years ago in, in our time frame. Um, and, 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 the, and the short story was positing the idea that eventually all services would be rendered by these robots. They would yeah. come to your door and deliver whatever it is you had ordered that day. Yeah. This particular day, somebody orders a sex worker uh, who the, the neighbors are wondering, uh, is, <laughs> yeah. is that yeah. a robot? What yeah. is that? Is that, you know, yeah. who is that at the door? That's the question. Our friend's electric. Who is your friend visiting you? Yeah. Is that is that a robot or a human being? And the, so the neighbors are gossiping about it. And this little vignette about fu- a futuristic society with a little twist, uh, uh, thanks to Gary Newman's uh, rendering of it. This is Two-Way Army with Our Friends Electric on Sound Opinions. Ah, yes, the dawning of a great era for post-punk music, electro-rock music, whatever you want to And I just it. love sci-fi that poses a question, you know, do androids dream of electric sheep? <laughs> exactly. Our friends electric tubeway army. What do you got next, Jim? Greg, I'm going next to a rather silly song, Baja Men's huge hit, Who Let the Dogs Out? Um... Now, this song is often uh, sung by me or my beloved wife in the <laughs> DeRogatis household. Just down the block, a couple of doors away, there's a uh, pet rescue place, right, that houses uh, pets, brings them back to life, uh-huh. and then gives them the pe- Alex, our beloved producer, does this sort of work, not at that place, on, on her, you know, uh, out of the goodness of her heart. And, and I, I applaud it. It's wonderful. But they walk the dogs like six or eight at a time mm-hmm. past the house. Uh, thankfully, it hasn't happened when we're taping, right? Uh-huh. It usually happens early in the morning and then in the evening at sunset. And, uh, you know, six or eight dogs make a heck of a racket, Um, especially when I'm cooking steak out on the patio. (laughs) And then then Carmel sings, who let the dogs out? Or I sing, who let the dogs out? Um, I I wound up doing one of those deep dives, again, spending half an hour reading up on Baja Men. It was uh, written, uh, you know, uh, by a songwriter, uh, heard by this producer, Jonathan King, this English novelty song producer from the 60s, mm-hmm. um, who uh, also, like, produced the first Genesis record. He's one of those really? Zelig-like characters. Um, and he had a minor hit with it, but this uh, junk 
a new band junk new was the the genre in uh the bahamas uh band uh their manager said you guys really ought to cover this mm. and they said oh yeah this is a hit and sure enough it becomes uh you know a top five hit both in the uk and the u.s the original writer of the song and the baja men uh both uh intended it as the response to the angry woman who is on the street uh, subject to catcalls. Mm-hmm. Men are walking by, and they think they have the right to uh, to comment on, on a woman's looks. Right. And, and the woman is saying, who let the dogs out? Mm-hmm. It's not actually canines here. Mm-hmm. It was written as a feminist uh, response. It, it was covered by the Baja men as a feminist response. It was the only hit they ever had, by the way. It was the only song anybody yes, knows. Yes, you can understand why, too. I love this song, though. <laughs> you gotta. Who let the dogs out? By Baja Men. <laughs> who let the dogs out? Jonathan King come to be associated yeah, I, I with who equal, let the dogs out. I want equal time for cats. Come on, man. Uh, well, I'm allergic to cats like I am to Florence and the Machine. What do you got next? What I have next is uh, a question song from the Pixies. Uh, this is one of my absolute favorite songs by the Pixies. It's from their 1988 Surfer Rosa record. Um, what I love, the anecdote about this song, Where Is My Mind? Yeah, it is yeah. the, uh, the song that the scientists used when they rebooted the Mars rover. You know, they had to reboot the machine oh, yeah. on, on Mars, and they reawakened it by playing this song. You know, mm-hmm. when, it, when it was reawakened, this song was the one, Where's My Mind? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I talked to Black Francis about Black Francis. I love the idea of him going scuba diving. That's what he says. I went scuba diving, and then there was this little fish chasing me around, and I go, what's, what's going on? You know, yeah. he was like... I couldn't, that was the inspiration for the song. And there's actually a couple of lines in the song referencing this little incident that happened in his life. To me, it's a song about disorientation. It's kind of my feel. it's kind of like what I felt after listening to the Kendrick record. You know, yeah. it's kind of like, what just happened? You yeah. know, did it's I, like, what, what's happening? That? Yeah. yeah. Why is this happening? And, um, you know, I, I think about it, this is something I ask myself 10 times a day when I'm watching the news, right? Um, there's a haunting beauty in this song, though, and I, I've told this story before, but I come back to it because Kim Deal's backing vocal makes the mm, song. Mm. Those haunting vocals. When they were performing it uh, at Coachella, when they, when they did their little reunion gig, first re- one of their first reunion gigs, uh, you know, almost 20 years ago now, what a moment that was, you know? Uh, the setting was so beautiful and that voice just ringing off the mountains there. So where is my mind from the Pixies? A great question song. Uh, from 1988 on Sonic Where is my mind? Where is my mind? Where is my mind? 
That is Where Is My Mind from the Pixies. Jim, you've got another one for us. I do, Greg. Uh, I'm going to play a couple of great question songs that come from the last halfway good album by great bands. I don't know. It seems like bands reach a certain point. They're running out of uh, inspiration, so they start <laughs> asking questions rather than telling us something. Um, you know, The Clash, as far as I'm concerned, pretty much ended with Combat Rock uh, when Mick Jones walked away after that album. Uh, 1981, uh, you know, and there's some, some, you know, Rock the Casbah, really? Come on. All right, but Should I Stay or Should I Go is just one of those stone-cold classic timeless rock songs it could have been done by Bo Diddley it could have been done by The Clash um, you know it is it is posing this question now people have pondered forever uh, what is exactly the question because Mick Jones was in uh, an apparently uh, back and forth uh, difficult relationship with of all people Ellen Foley mm-hmm, yeah. who sang on Meat Loaf's Bat Out of Hell right and he's you know is it about the relationship ending. Uh, is it about him soon to leave the clash? Uh, or is it, you know, he has said, hey, we were just trying to write a good rockin' song, our attempt at a classic. That's what he says. And, it, you know, you listen to it, you listen to the drums, you listen to the propulsive nature, and, and Chuck Berry is the uh, obvious, uh, uh, you know, uh, Chuck Berry or Bo Diddley. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like to me. Where... The Spanish lyrics come in. You know, apparently, you know, Joe Strummer had to put his mark. It was a Jones song. It was mm-hmm. a great Jones song. I'm going to put myself in here. So he and Joe Ely do the uh, Spanish uh, part, but uh, neither of them spoke Spanish. So they, they found uh, uh, the tape operator's mother, <laughs> who was Ecuadorian. So it's Ecuadorian Spanish. I do love whenever Joe Strummer sang in Spanish, because <laughs> you know he doesn't know what he's saying. Uh, but man, this is a great song. Should I stay or should I go by the clash? Should I stay or should I go now? Should I stay or should I go now? If I go, there will be trouble. And if I stay, it will be double. So you gotta let me know. Should I cool it or should I blow? I don't know, Greg. Should he stay? Should he go? It's uh, one of those questions that has no answer, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's the best kind of question song. Let us now turn to our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. We love on these list shows to hear what our staff uh, loves in music as well. Sol, what are you going to lay on us? Uh, so I'm going to play Who's Gonna Save You Now by Rina Sawayama. It's off her 2020 release called Sawayama. A new question mm-hmm. song. Newish. Newish, yeah. Um, it's a song about cutting ties with someone who you sacrificed a lot for. And it came out in April of 2020, so everything was on lockdown. And this sort of brought back that live element in music because it is a studio recording, but it is made to sound like it's performed live. Hmm. There's live chants in the beginning. Um, there's echoes. Um, And it just hit differently at the time where there was no live music in sight for a bit. Let's hear it. Painting gonna put it away That's where you stay deep in the prayers Uh, All so long I waited on you When went the light till it was true So you burned the bridges and drained the river 
That is Rina Sawayama. Who's going to save you now? Sol Delgadillo's pick for a great that was question a good one. song. It was very good. Coming up, we're going to share some more question songs, and that's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we're back. We're sharing our favorite songs with questions for titles. Next up, producer Alex Claiborne has a pick for us. Alex, what are you going to lay on us? So uh, I know Soul brought in a more contemporary song. I'm going to go back to 1989 um, with a song by Dolly Parton. It's called Why'd You Come In Here Looking Like That? And it's, <laughs> <laughs> and it's off of her album White Limousine. And it's actually not a song that she wrote. We know that Dolly is an extremely prolific songwriter. Um, But this was written by Bob Carlyle and Randy Thomas, who were country and also like contemporary Christian singers and songwriters. Um, What I like about this song, though, is that Dolly is reversing kind of the kinds of songs that men sing about women. She's sort of reversing that to be singing about a man and kind of, I wouldn't say objectifying, but definitely speaking about him as many men speak about women (laughs) in music. And, you know, she says, why'd you come in here looking like that in your high heeled boots and your painted on jeans, all decked out like a cowgirl's dream. So it's like very much like you can tell the original lyrics were probably reversed, like singing about. And so, this song is great sonically it's so warm and sweet just like a lot of dolly vocals and we have bella fleck on banjo and it's just very sonically soothing and it's it's like a boost of serotonin when you're feeling kind of (laughs) low this is why'd you come in here looking like that by dolly parton on sound opinions Yeah, we always need some Dolly Parton serotonin, as Alex wow. Claiborne described it. That you hear is, how excited uh, Alex was, yeah. right? Imagine what she'd be I like if know. we actually land Dolly Parton someday. Why'd you come in here looking like that from Dolly Parton? Thank you, Alex. Uh, Andrew, Andrew Gill, we're going down the production line here. Uh, you've got a pick for us too, Andrew. Yes, how's it going, guys? Um, my pick is the 1971 hit from The Shy Lights. Have you seen her? Uh, yeah. um, Love it. And Love it. yeah, I, I came across this song recently because I was reading an obituary in the Sun-Times for a woman named Helen Wooten mm. who worked in the music industry and worked with the Shy Lights. This was her favorite song. And she, she was a, a manager, a promoter. She ran clubs. She was close personal friends with the Shy Lights. Mm. Uh, well, spanning decades in Chicago. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she she died uh, May 5th at uh, the age of 72. Um, Mm. But this song was in that article. And then I was looking for a a song that asked a question. And this one came to my mind. But you know, you know where I first heard this song? MC Hammer, please hammer, don't hurt (laughs) him. He sampled it. Yeah, he did. He did a straight up cover of this song. Um, So that was my... uh, Somewhat less less timeless uh, yeah, first introduction. exposure, but uh, but it's a great song, you know. Who can deny it? Can I ride? Oh, I see her face everywhere I go on the street and even at the picture show. Have you 
Skylights, have you seen her? Great pick from Andrew Gill. Mr. Cott, you're up next. Yes, indeed. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, MC, you mentioned MC Hammer. I'm sure M- I, I interviewed him once. He was an entertaining interview uh, at the height fellow. of his fame. Yeah, yeah. I talked to him too. But you know, he grew up. He grew up. He told me he grew up in a household where, you know, uh, they were. You know, his mom would be listening to black radio stations, and I'm sure he heard this song like a million times because it was such a huge hit in the early '70s. Uh, you couldn't escape it, so no, no doubt he would sample it at some point. Speaking of sampling, A Tribe Called Quest, Can I Kick It? There's oh, a question, yeah. right? Uh, from their debut album in 1990. Some amazing samples. Obviously, most uh, listeners of Sound Opinions will know that it samples Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. Yep. We, we use it as intro music occasionally mm-hmm. for some of our uh, uh, episodes. Uh, that bass line by Herbie Flowers, right? Mm. That's a, he was one of the great bass players in British session musician brought in by David Bowie, who produced that record. Uh, but also uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith with a, mm. with a sample from Spinning Wheel. He did a cover of that uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears song. And then Sun Shower by uh, Dr. Buzzard's original Savannah Band. <laughs> uh, great, great jazzy samples that underpin this song. And then there's Q-Tip on top. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. It kicks back. I That's love right. that. Call and response. The basis of African music, black music, going back to Africa centuries ago. Uh, a fulcrum of gospel music, certainly, uh, call and response, and then hip-hop after that. So, you know, Q-Tip and a Tribe uh, tapping in to this wellspring of, of the music they grew up with and their ancestors grew up with and their ancestors made and formed. Uh, on top of the jazz sample, it was, it was a really fresh sound uh, for hip hop at, at at that time, at that crucial time, and a song that continues to this day. Yes, can I kick it? Yes, you can. A tribe called Quest on Sound Opinions. Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Well, I'm gone. Can I kick it? To all the people who can quest like a tribe does Before this, did you really know what live was? Comprehend to the track force, why? Cause getting mentions on the tip of the vibe was Rock and roll to the beat of the funk fuzz Wipe your feet really good on the rhythm rug If you feel the urge to freak, do the jitterbug Come and spread your arms if you really need a hug I think you can kick it, Mr. Cod. That was a, a passionate intro to a great song. Um, I've got a hip-hop pick next, and I'm going really deep. Yeah. Um, you know, Tupac Shakur, obviously a stellar, giant talent. Not, for the most part, served well by the many, many, many posthumous releases. All right? If if Tupac ever, like, uh, uh, left a voice message, that's been turned into an album, Okay. Um, this is an exception. Uh, not all of the album, but the rose that grew from concrete took some of his poetry and writings, and uh, other artists uh, turned them into songs. And we have uh, most deaf, uh, you know, the great rapper who was initially part of Black Star and then a prolific uh, solo career, uh, great rapper taking on a poem that Tupac had written about the Black Panther movement, which 
yes, there was some violence associated. Some of it was uh, foist upon them by the feds. Uh, there were the soup kitchens. There were the uh, health clinics. There were the uh, uh, daycare centers. You know, I mean, a, a force in the black community in Chicago, on the West Coast. You know, most deaf was moved by the words that Tupac had written and uh, created this track, Can You See Pride in the Panther? Uh, and again, the colon response, like you were mm-hmm. talking about, who am I? A panther. <laughs> what I got? I got soul. I just love this track. You know, if there's another great posthumous uh, Tupac song, I can't think of it, but this one's a gem. I said the P is for power, the A for action, the N T because now is the time to get it done. See, the H is for heart and the E for effect. To all hold it down at the end for respect. Who am I a panther? Who am I a panther? What I got, I got soul. What I got, I got love. What I got, I got pride. What I wanna be free. Raise your hands in the air if you feel like me. Who am I a panther? Who am I a panther? What I got, I got soul. What I got, I got love. What I got, I got pride. What I wanna be free. Raise your hands in the air if you feel like me. Can you see pride in the panther? Most deaf uh, collaborating with the late Tupac. You ever heard that one? Yeah, I have. I mean, you're right. There, there isn't a whole lot of great posthumous Tupac no. out there, but this is one of them for sure. Speaking of posthumous, I'm not sure that Pulp is still a going entity. I think they it's might hard to be. Tell. Jarvis Cocker has been releasing solo records. He's been doing but... all the, the the soundtrack stuff for Wes Anderson. Yeah, exactly. He's a busy man. He's a great songwriter. Uh, you know, at the core of that whole Britpop movement in the '90s, you know, alongside Oasis and Blur. Uh, they put out a string of really fine singles and albums during that era. Uh, among the first breakthrough hits for Pulp was Do You Remember the First Time in 1994. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you think on the face of it, it's kind of an obvious song. Like, of yeah. course, you know, we know what we're talking about this. You know, is that a foreigner song or something, you know? No. Uh, feels like the first time, Poison. right? You know, exactly. Uh, but no, it's as usual, Jarvis Cocker, I think, you know, triple-layered meaning here uh, with the song. Obviously, a song about losing your virginity. He's talked about it. He said, yeah, this is a song about losing my virginity, a universal subject. But uh, it's also a song about nostalgia and how it can become an albatross. You know, in this song, the girl has moved on, but he hasn't. You know, so you, you sort of get tied into this moment that you had and you wish it could happen again. And that's not going to happen. He's, right. he's not seeing the world realistically. Can't go home again. And finally, I think this is the, like the cherry on top. A song that kicked off Pulp's reunion show, mm. right? Yeah, it's kind of yeah, like, yeah. guys, come on. We all know what this is. Right, this is right, an exercise right, right. in nostalgia. Right. We're going to make a lot of gonna money. make some money. And it's a commentary on that. So Jarvis Cocker uh, getting it right uh, three times with Do You Remember the First Time on Sound Opinion. Do you remember the first time? That is Pulp with Do You Remember the First Time. Um, As I said about the Clash and Combat Rock, uh, I have the opinion that uh, 
R.E.M.'s Monster is their last uh, somewhat salvageable uh, album. Uh, You know, there were problems on that record. You know they're losing the plot. And afterwards, it just wasn't R.E.M., at least to me, anymore. Coming especially on uh, the heels of Out of Time and Automatic for the People, two masterpieces, Uh, this is the album where they decided to rock, (laughs) do monstrous rock again, right? And the song What's the Frequency, Kenneth, is indeed a rocking song. Um, You know, it was based on this obscure, uh, God, we have to go back to the early 90s. You know, Dan Rather, who was then the nightly news anchor, said that he'd been assaulted uh, by a couple of guys on the street in New York City who kept asking him, Kenneth, what is the frequency? Mm -hmm. Kenneth, what is it? You know, that's like, I I think Dan was kind of losing it, just like R.E.M. was starting (laughs) to lose it. And then in Michael Stipe's uh, view, as the always elliptical songwriter, he was... Uh, looking at this new sound coming up. All right, why did REM turn up the amps again? There was this thing called grunge happening, right? Mm-hmm. Nirvana had happened. You know, Stipe was re- became very close with Kurt Cobain. He's uh, asking a generational question: How the older generation often loses touch with you know kids today, in quotes, and REM's starting to get mm-hmm. there. <laughs> and he's wondering, what's the frequency, Kenneth? Uh, have I still got anything to say? And do I mean anything anymore? Uh, it's a really good song from an otherwise mixed album. And then R.E.M. lost the plot. What's the frequency What's the frequency, Kenneth? I'll tell you the frequency, Greg. It's uh, all of the <laughs> fine public radio stations that air Sound Opinions. That's go. the frequency. <laughs> that wraps up our picks, and now we want to hear from you. If you've got a favorite questioning song, leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. I have a question for you, Greg. What is on the show next week? Jim, the answer to that question is Amy Mann. She's going yes. to talk about five albums that made her hugely influential records in her career and life. Don't forget to check out our bonus podcast feed for an interview Jim did with artist Steve Keen about his work with bands like Apples and Stereo and Pavement. Yep, we're going to talk visual art on the airwaves. For more sound opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to sound opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. And speaking of sponsors, every week our show reaches hundreds of thousands of curious listeners from around the globe via podcast and on 150 public radio stations nationwide. If you'd like to learn more on how your business or organization can also reach this engaged and educated audience, you can email sponsor at soundopinions.org. 
Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo. Our social media consultant is Katie Collins.